This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine's armed forces reportedly recaptured more than 20 towns and villages from Russian control on Sunday. In total, they have retaken more than 3,000 square kilometers of territory in 11 days, mostly in their country's northeast, and have advanced to within 50 kilometers of the border with Russia, according to General Valery Zeluzhny, their commander-in-chief. These gains have, in effect, ended Russia's grand plans to seize control of the entire Donbass, Ukraine's eastern region. Emboldened, the Ukrainians are calling for more weapons from their allies. Russian forces retaliated by attacking civilian infrastructure, including power stations and water facilities, to deprive people of light and heat, according to Ukrainian officials. Russia denied these motivations. On Monday, the mayor of Kharkiv said that power had been restored in Ukraine's second-largest city after millions of people were said to be disconnected in the Kharkiv and Donetsk regions on Sunday. Sweden's general election remained too close to call on Monday morning. The country's right-wing opposition bloc appeared to be taking a very slim lead, reversing the trend indicated by exit polls, which suggested that the ruling centre-left coalition was narrowly ahead. Even with 90% of the vote counted, a result is not expected before Wednesday. King Charles III made his first visit as monarch to Parliament to hear condolences on behalf of the House of Commons and the House of Lords. The coffin, bearing Queen Elizabeth II, was taken to Edinburgh. It will be flown to London on Tuesday to lie in state at Westminster Hall for four days. The funeral will take place on September 19th. Britain's economy grew more slowly than expected in July, preserving the risk of recession. GDP grew by 0.2% in July, a smaller increase than the median forecast of 0.4%. Growth was stagnant over the three months to July compared to the earlier three-month period. Consumer and business activity has been dampened by soaring inflation. The IMF is discussing a proposal for emergency lending to countries facing severe food price shocks, according to Reuters. It would allow the IMF to provide rapid assistance to Ukraine as well as to places affected indirectly by its invasion. Some African countries have been worried about food shortages, though recently the prices of internationally traded staples have actually fallen. New Zealand announced that it would be lifting the last of its COVID-19 restrictions. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, said that, from Tuesday onwards, vaccine mandates and mask-wearing requirements will be dropped. Meanwhile, in Japan, a senior official suggested the government may soon relax restrictions on foreign travellers, as a way to boost the weakening yen. And fact of the day. 350. The weight in kilograms of a harm missile being used by Ukraine against Russia in its current counter-offensive. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Our model of the contest for Congress. On November 8th, America holds elections for one-third of the Senate and all 435 members in the House. To predict the outcome, each day, The Economist's election model runs 10,000 simulated elections based on polling, demographics, 
fundraising, and historical results. It currently gives the Democrats a 77% chance of holding the Senate and the Republicans a 74% chance of taking the House. A few months ago, the Democrats seemed poised to lose both, but the unpopular reversal of Roe v. Wade and the Republicans' selection of unimpressive Senate candidates have damaged the Republicans' chances. The Democrats, meanwhile, passed some legislation and may be getting a boost as inflation slows. Our predictions may change. The Republicans have time to catch up. And in the 2020 election, pollsters overestimated Democratic votes. But another factor may help the Democrats. Fundraising. In nearly every tight Senate race, the Democratic candidates have received more donations than their opponents. Imran Khan in court. Since he was ousted from office in April, Imran Khan has become a fierce critic of Pakistan's government. The former prime minister has staged giant rallies, clamored for fresh elections, and served up intemperate speeches. That outspokenness has irritated those now in office and brought him a barrage of criminal charges. On Monday, final arguments in a critical court case will resume. The former cricket star, who leads the Pakistan tariq e party, faces both contempt and terrorism charges related to a speech he made on August 20th in which he blamed police and a judge for the torture of one of his aides. Despite catastrophic floods which have cost more than 1,000 lives and $30 billion in losses, many in Pakistan remain engrossed by this political drama. If Mr. Khan were convicted of any of the charges, he would be disqualified from standing for office for five years. A technicality may take him down, but his wide support on the streets will not be diminished. Famine at the Door in Somalia Somalia is in the midst of a humanitarian crisis. The search for food has driven one million Somalis from their homes, and some children are dying. A technical definition of famine is where at least 20% of households face an extreme lack of food, 30% of children are suffering from acute malnutrition, and two people for every 10,000 dying each day because of starvation or malnutrition and disease. An independent panel composed of UN experts, members of NGOs and academics, last week decided that this threshold had not yet been met, but the situation is still dire. Last week, the UN's humanitarian chief said that to avert a famine, $1 billion in new donations would be needed, on top of $1.5 billion it had previously called for. Much of that first appeal has been raised. In July, America committed $476 million, but with an Islamist insurgency complicating relief efforts and rains next month expected yet again to fall, The help, however generous, may not come soon enough. Joe Biden's War on Cancer It is 60 years since President John F. Kennedy gave a speech outlining America's intention to land a man on the moon. Marking the anniversary on Monday, President Joe Biden will set out his wish for renewed efforts on a similarly challenging endeavor, fighting cancer. He first launched the Cancer Moonshot Initiative in 2016 as vice president, a year after one of his sons, Beau, died of brain cancer. The scheme pledged $1.8 billion in public funding over seven years to support a variety of efforts, such as improving therapeutics, detection, and patient-driven care. Public funds continued to flow during Donald Trump's administration. In February, the president relaunched the initiative, setting a goal of cutting the death rate from cancer in half by 2047. 
Better screening of potential patients is particularly pressing after an estimated 9.4 million tests were missed in 2020 because of the pandemic. The fight against cancer is a rare bipartisan issue, though the public funds committed to this moonshot effort, while large, remain far short of those spent on getting to the actual moon. America's Television Gongs The Emmy Awards have become a battleground in the streaming wars. Each year, the combatants, notably Amazon, Apple, Disney, HBO, Hulu, and Netflix, hope that by winning an armful of golden statuettes, they might also persuade subscribers that their platform hosts the best content. The prizes are to be dished out on Monday. Last year, the contest had a clear winner. Netflix scooped up 44 prizes, followed by HBO with 19. Netflix's triumph was largely down to The Crown and The Queen's Gambit, which together accounted for half of the streaming service's haul. This year, it is Succession, HBO's flagship show, that should do well. The drama has already won 10 Emmys since it first aired in 2018. It is up for 25 awards. Look out for gongs for Best Drama Series and Best Supporting Actor. Apple's Ted Lasso, meanwhile, may continue to dominate the comedy categories. Executives and investors, and who knows, perhaps even regular viewers, will be watching closely. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, Tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which series of novels written by Stephanie Meyer focused on the tribulations of Bella Swan, a teenager who falls in love with a vampire? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Muhammad Ali Jinnah. I do not believe in taking the right decision. I take a decision and make it right. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.